Welcome to a new episode of the NeoMoe show. My name is Thomas Dam. Today it's 20 February 2018. I'm at FITC Amsterdam and I have the pleasure to talk with Matt McEwen. He is um, editor-in-chief of 99U, the creative think tank of Beyond, which is now owned by Adobe. <laughs> Matt, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. On your um, author bio text on uh, 99U uh, website says, you're willing to travel long distance for a good meal. That's right. What's, what's a good meal? You know, I, I, so we're here in Amsterdam for the FITC, and uh, I've been to one place twice so far in ah. the three days, and it's called Pulitzer's Bar. There's a hotel called the Pulitzer Hotel. It used to be owned by members of the Pulitzer family, and they've converted these home residential buildings into a huge hotel and they have this bar there that feels very old world like 1920s they're mixing uh, all sorts of cocktails uh, in these vintage glasses and I went there my first night and I went there again last night and I was the only person there I got there so late but they could not have been nicer I had a Caesar salad and these little fried things called bitter ballins, which I guess are specialties here in, uh, in Amsterdam yeah, yeah. and what could be bad it's like lobster cheese and then fried so it's got to be good right right is that also one of your favorite foods or lobster sure uh but these things were just new that we just i just tried here while okay. i was in amsterdam okay yeah. so and did you enjoy the bitterballer yes yeah? yes i would highly recommend okay good. in the states we might call them croquettes they're yeah. very similar to croquettes yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. it's a bowl croquettes yeah. basically so yeah. you didn't burn your mouth i did on the first one. Oh. <laughs> good news is i had a nice cold drink right in my other hand yeah, yeah, that yeah. helped you know temper the heat right 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 okay you studied english yep how did you go into this job of a writer uh. I've always loved stories since I was really, really young. Uh, my mom, I think, got me turned on to stories. Back when uh, I was in grade school, I have two younger brothers and a younger sister. My mom would always uh, have us do summer reading between you know, school years. And she was a really smart mom. She bribed us with blizzards from Dairy Queen, which are those you know, like milkshake kind of treats. Mm -hmm. And if you read four books in a month, you would get to go to a Dairy Queen and get any kind of blizzard you want. You know? So from a very early age, I learned that I loved reading because I loved Dairy Queen blizzards. Right. And that kind of got me sparked on stories. You know, they could take me to worlds that I hadn't been to, uh, help me imagine things that, as a kid from Iowa, which is you know, in the Midwest, not the most adventurous, perhaps, of places to grow up, but these stories could help transport me yeah. elsewhere. So that carried throughout high school and college. Uh, studied English because I liked uh, telling stories. The problem you realize when you graduate with an English degree is that you're not always immediately employable. You're like, what am I going to do with this English degree? Well, I wanted to tell stories. Uh, I wanted to write. I moved to New York City uh, kind of with the dream of writing. Mm -hmm. And then I just started, well, it took me a while. I, I was working a day job and I was uh, writing a book in the mornings at night to see if I could actually write. Uh, and that was good because I had a guaranteed pay every day and then I could try this other thing at night. And four years later, I was able to self-publish the story. And it sold pretty well over the course of two years. But I think what it taught me was I love writing so much that even when I wasn't getting paid for it initially, I would still do it. Even when it was at you know seven in the morning when I would write in the morning and then seven at night when I would write and then on the weekends, I would still fill my free hours outside of work with writing. And that told me that this passion that I feel is really real mm -hmm. and it's something that 
I want to do, um, in, a, in a sense, bulletproof against all the difficulties of mm -hmm. New York. Like I could not make a lot of money, but nobody could take away that passion for storytelling. And that's what I want to, uh, I want to do. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what's the book about? Oh, it's, it's actually, it's a book called An Honorable Run, and it's a coming-of-age story yeah. about, it's my story. I guess I felt, I felt like when I was 26, I needed to write a memoir, which is kind of a little bit big-headed of me, to be honest. Uh, but it was about being 16, 17, 18 years old in life, thinking you've got everything all figured out. Uh, me, I left home, and I didn't listen to this wise coach. It's a story about athletics. This coach who was a great mentor, who always had interesting things to say about sports and life. I went off on my own, tried to do my own thing, and ultimately came back to him four years later and said, you know what, coach, you were right. Through yeah. sports, you taught me a lot about life as well. Uh, so it was a 100-page 100, 100 thank you note to this, this coach. Okay. Essentially, yeah. Wow, <laughs> that's yeah. really amazing. Yeah. Um, writing a book is also quite big. Yes. Wasn't that something that was fearful for you? Or do you think, I just jump on it and do it? Jump on it and do it. That's okay. kind of been my... That's kind of how I operate. Uh, when I was 18 years old, I wanted to run for the best running distance running program in the country, uh, which was at the University of Colorado where I went. And I basically just moved out there the summer before the school year, lived with an aunt and uncle, and trained with guys who had become Olympians one day. I was not fearful. I was like, this is what I have to do. The same thing with New York. I packed everything I could fit into two suitcases, which was how many suitcases back in the day you could use to check for free, <laughs> and came to New York without a job, without a place to, to live at the time, without really any friends in the city, because I knew that's where I wanted to be. So yes, there is like, there's a concern deep down, because like if this goes off the wheels, you're really screwed, you're in New York, you don't know anybody, you don't have a job, don't have any money, um, that could go bad, but there's a self-belief down deep inside that says, okay, I can I can figure it out, right? right? I can I can parachute down to a, into a tough, uh, almost unclimbable situation mm -hmm. and climb my way yeah. out of it. People also call that craziness. That is another word for that. Yeah, they yeah, think yeah, I'm yeah, crazy, yeah. but you know. Um, you started writing uh, articles. Uh -huh. Did you do that next to your day job? I uh, I eventually left the day job yeah. and was a full-time freelancer for about six years. Yeah. Wrote for all sorts of publications. Um, Fast Company, Fortune, Wall Street Journal, GQ, Bon Appetit, anybody that I could get work for, I wrote for. And in terms of telling a story or in terms of generating ideas, that was really, really helpful because you just learned that you have to come up with an idea every day as a freelancer, right? That's your currency. That's how you're going to get paid. You need to have an idea. But you need to have more than just one idea to pitch to somebody. If you just pitch them one idea, they can easily say no. But if you pitch them three, you've at least given them three options to consider. Yeah. And so uh, the, the biggest thing freelancing taught me was I need to be the generator of my own story ideas. And not just in one specific beat, like business or tech or creativity or sports, but like uh, I need to have a diversif diversified portfolio of publications that I write for because if ESPN isn't hiring or if they don't need any words this month and I only write for ESPN, I'm screwed. So I need to find you know, fortune. And that, that as a, I think that's really served me well as the editor of 99U yeah. because now I can look out into the greater design world and find – I feel confident that I can find a story in most places. Mm -hmm. You know, it might not, I might not always – know everybody on the cutting edge of design, but I can find stories on any topic, any idea, uh, because I've, I did that for six years. Right. So it taught you to see the story behind the, the surface yep. at the moment. Yep. And 
And how did you become involved in, in 99U? It was a, a random uh, connection. A friend of mine who was an editor at Fortune magazine uh, knew the former editor of 99U. Uh, I had been, it's great to write for all sorts of big publications, uh, but it's also, I felt like, really great to work for a brand, like a, a company like Adobe, and to tell stories uh, that can contribute to what they're doing in their field, in their industry. And Adobe, you know, makes tools for creative people, and we tell stories about creative people. Mm -hmm. So when I learned that we had a lot of editorial independence to write about uh, things and ideas that maybe even transcend an Adobe tool, like at 99U, our stories rarely uh, talk about Adobe products, and that's okay because there's a lot discussed throughout Adobe about their products. Ours talk about creatives who are you know, making sacrifices to pursue their career goals or who are doing really unexpected, unusual things with their business or their cultures. And, uh, and that was a pretty great opportunity yeah. to tell stories, to do what I love, but to do it for you know, a company that, that really supports artists and supports creatives and designers. I see 99U really separate from Adobe. Yeah, it's a great, it's a, it's a great point. We were uh, part of Behance, mm -hmm. and Adobe bought Behance, and 99U was kind of this, this thing, this uh, ship that did its own thing. Um, and we have decided to say, okay, actually the stories that we write about and the people that we write about, that's another creative tool. Photoshop is a really good tool. Uh, it's a tool that you can use to make something uh, you know, that you want to make. 99U is a good tool because it can help you learn about things that you don't quite know about between the projects right. or when you're thinking about switching careers or helps, you know, you gain knowledge about the wider mm -hmm. creative industry. Yeah. So we're tools. Yeah. <laughs> Your tools are the website and a magazine and a conference. Yep. So I think I think um, if if uh, Photoshop is more like a, a tangible tool, right? You can go on and you can actually you can make something. Yeah. 99U is an information tool. Right. It's uh, it's it's telling you about things and ideas that maybe other people have ex have experienced, but you haven't yet experienced. So you can read one of our stories if you're contemplating doing something that, say, the story is about, and you can get some knowledge ahead of making any decisions or to help you make decisions mm -hmm. about you know what everybody else has already done. So yeah. we look at like the insight and the knowledge as a, as an additional resource in terms of the software tools. Right. I like your shirt, by the way. Thank you. For those at home, it's a great white shirt with these little uh, black dots around it, all yeah. over it. All over it, yeah. And yeah. you've got it nicely knotted. It's the air tie, what we call the air tie. Yeah. Knotted at the top without a, without a necktie. I, I, I usually wear a tie. Does your work provide that? Or? Uh, no, I think I'm the only person there in the whole company, 16,000 people who might wear a tie. I don't know why I, I wore My grandfather always wore a tie. My dad always yeah. wore a tie. Uh, for me, it's the one little thing that I can wear that adds a little bit of uh, style differentiator, right. you know? Uh, than everybody else. And a lot of people wear hoodies uh, where I work, and so I think of it as sort of a mini form of rebellion. You right. know, if I'm wearing a tie, I'm really rebelling. Just kidding, that's sarcasm, that's sarcasm. <laughs> Hopefully it comes through in a podcast. Anyways. You're also editor-in-chief, so then is that not, it's your role to wear a tie? I like or to look professional because yeah. we probably, my executive, our executive editor and myself are meeting with designers, creative right. people every day. So yeah. we like to look like, you know, we own the shop, we run the shop, right. and I think, you know, certainly that can contribute in a, yeah. in a, in a small way to, to that feeling of, of ownership. You know, you look polished, and if you, you look polished, you feel more professional. Right. Yeah. That's why I have this uh, button down. That's right. right. <laughs>
It looks good. So your your audience is not only going to learn about 99U on this podcast, yeah. but they're also going to get some sartorial tips, yeah. which is a nice added benefit. Exactly. That's what you talked about in your talk. Right. Right. But I want to go to the website, okay. the magazine, and the conference. Okay. And because uh, Neil Moray is all about conferences and, and, yep. and creative things. And I was wondering how the website, the magazine, and the conference work together and mm. how they season each other. It's ah, a great question. We have uh, three people, well, four people to total who work on all this. It's myself as the editor, our executive editor, Perrin Drum, our conference director, Andrea Rosen, and our creative director, Mark Brooks. So four people essentially do all of that. And that's a, an editorial property that reaches about 1.6 million people a month a thousand-person conference uh, in New York City, and a quarterly magazine. So we, we certainly punch above our weight to, to do all this. Now, we all work together. We all sit very closely, and they're all intertwined, I think, to a certain degree. Uh, the editorial is maybe, maybe the, the year-round base, the laying down all the base of stories and mm -hmm. ideas about people. Um, that's the thing that's, you, that might be your introduction to 99U. Now you might know about the conference, but if you haven't experienced it yet, the first thing you might experience is an article. So you can learn a little bit about yeah. what we do and you can learn about creative people. And for us, uh, that sort of hopefully sets the ball in motion with, these, uh, with our audience who says, okay, I like what they're doing online. I'm gonna sign up for their newsletter. Uh, I'm gonna sign up for their magazine and then I'm gonna go to the conference. They make a further, further level of an investment in, in what we're doing. For us as the creators, we are trying to tell you know, good stories online and we look at people that we talk to from two perspectives. One, do they make a good editorial story? And two, do we think somewhere down the road they would be a good for our live events, right? They could be a speaker at the conference, they could be a contributor at the yeah. conference, but you try to make those relationships today, like if you know, if, I, if you and I were doing a story today and we thought it was a really, really good experience, we could say, okay, you know, you did this and then we have this conference in a couple of months, maybe you would like to, uh, to participate in that right. as well. Try to, try to parlay the interesting people that we talk to and see if they want to, to get involved even more with us down mm -hmm. the road. Yeah. yeah, so it really helps the editorial to build the conference to find the right speakers because writing about a person and putting them on the stage is something totally different also because then they have to tell the story right it's not the, in, the intermediate is not there i think we can be a good first evaluator for that uh, yeah. Perrin and myself we, get, we we meet the people we get a sense do they have a good story mm -hmm. and how are they as an interview if they're really good on point, they're, uh, they're interesting to talk to. We can provide that to our conference director, Andrea Rosen, and say, hey, this person not only made a good story, but they, they have something more. Mm -hmm. You might want to consider them yeah. for X, Y, and Z. So we, we provide her with ideas. She does a lot of the, the top line evaluation of the, the speakers, but also the nuts and bolts of the conference. But I look at the editors as sort of like the, uh, you know, the, the foot soldiers of sorts to decide mm -hmm who might be good. Yeah. Again, Andrea also has a pretty good uh, eye out for, for who would mm -hmm. be good as well. Yeah. This year you celebrate the 10th edition. The 10th year, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Is, are you going to do something special at 99U conference? I think we, we're uh, doing a couple of things this year. One thing that's, that Andrea has done, she's come in about a year and a half, two years now, mm -hmm. is just up the level of the conference. When you have a sold out a thousand person conference at Alice Tully uh, in, Link in Lincoln Center, it's hard to get much bigger than that, but uh, we're going to try to up the level and make it more interesting, um, up the design quality, uh, up the experience level, 
We're going to have uh, better meals this year. Ah, we have a curated food gallery, from what I understand. We're going to get all sorts of food trucks yeah. or perhaps food kind of stalls to come in, and everybody can pick their own meal. Right. Me, as you noted earlier, being a foodie, yeah, that yeah. sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, but the level of s the speakers has always been very, very strong. But I think this year, Andrea has put together a roster of people who, I mean, everybody is like, it's like an all-star team. Right. You know, everybody looks like, okay, uh, some conferences might get one or two of these people. Yeah. We got like yeah, two yeah. days worth of these people. Yeah. So I think those are going to be the two differentiators, the, the, um, just the whole experiential aspect of the conference as well as what people are going to deliver on right. stage. Does it also help that it's in New York? I think so. I think that's a huge one of the, the, the draws of the conference. It's a great conference, yes, of course. Uh, it's in New York. That helps as well, right? Because let's just be honest, people want to come to New York. Uh, companies have conference budgets. So if you're going to go to maybe Iowa, where I'm from, and I can say it because I'm from Iowa, or you're going to go to New York for a conference, yeah. you know, it's an easy uh, you know, decision to say, let's right. go to New Ma Manhattan versus you know, Iowa City. And I think uh, people want to come to New York. They want to maybe come in for the conference, which is Wednesday through Friday, stay for the weekend. You know, why not? You know, yeah. Experience New York, yeah. especially if you haven't been to New yeah. York. After the conference, you um, spread all the information that is shared by the speakers. And do you also use that later on to um, analyzing the overall team? Because probably if you are there two days, then you yeah. see like overlaying topics that speakers bring to the stage. Yep. Is that inspiring back for the content of the, of the magazine or the website? What we do is a week after the conference, we all just pass out for the whole week. Right. You know, right? Right. Give ourselves that break. Uh, but then towards the end of that, we come in and evaluate the conference. What went well, yeah. what didn't go well. Sometimes we have had people who have not yet been in, uh, interviewed editorially who mm -hmm. come in and just knock our socks off from a speaking perspective. And we say, okay, you know, we haven't interviewed, like Natasha Jen spoke at our conference last mm -hmm. year. It was a great idea that we had, but she had not yet been in the story. So, like, let's... Let's use it's that. Used, yeah. uh, what we'll often do is we'll take all the, the videos of the main stage mm -hmm. speakers and share those online. Mm -hmm. So if somebody hasn't been to the conference yet or they weren't able to go this yeah. year, you can hear all these thoughts and ideas. And for, for us, what that does is you have this big moment around the conference. And then when the uh, videos go up, uh, from, from a marketing perspective, it adds another you know, reason to re-engage with 99U. Yes, yeah. the conference happened last month or a couple weeks ago. But now here are all the videos and ideas right. that come from it. And some of those we do find even a month later can be a little bit news breaking in terms of yeah. the subject matter and what people are right. talking about. Right, yeah, and still some of the talks from four years ago, yeah. they are still so valuable now yeah. to look back. And that's that's my lead in to the to my next yeah. question. That's you are so top on the creative field yeah. and the worldwide creative field. So can you describe or can you give your view on the creative world at this moment? Exhilarating and terrifying. Okay, both of those two. And I'm going to cover my bases by saying, you know, both of those two. I think on the one hand, uh, there's a lot of things being upended in terms of normal working conventions, how people work, jobs even, you know. Uh, it's a, it can be a tad scary to be a creative out there these mm -hmm. days. Um, I think creatives drive a lot of value for companies, but sometimes looking at it from our perspective, do companies value creatives as much as they should? Uh, that's, a, that's a question. I have at the same time when all these norms are being broken and new conventions are happening, that's a good time to be a creative because you can come up with something new, a new concept. Um, you know, right now, 
creatives if they want. They can splinter off and go open their own companies. They can work for small studios. You don't always have to work for just one big company um, mm -hmm. for 40 years like yeah. you used to have to do you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. So I think that offers them a lot of freedoms. Uh, my thing, the, the idea that I'm getting behind for creatives right now is making sure creatives are in good financial position of strength to do what they want to do. So I think uh, this next month I'm going to launch like a new, uh, uh, it's not a money column or financial column, it's just a way to kind of help creatives connect between creativity and commerce. There's a lot of people who do great work, but you can't do great work if you um, if you don't have you know the income to support that, especially if you're living in a city like New York or London. These are very, very, very expensive places to live, but that's where a lot of the energy is. That's where a lot of the cool, interesting people are. How can you be able to provide for yourself while also doing you know the majority of the work that you want to do? I feel like we've come a little bit of a way is sure people are talking about designers getting a, you know the quote-unquote seat at the table um, but there should be chief design officers at every big company and more so creatives gotta figure out how to get them paid more yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so I'm I'm looking forward to this new uh, yeah. section of the, on the it's on the website or will it be in the magazine it's gonna be probably on the the website and maybe in the magazine as well right. but the idea is like uh, one of the things that, that was discussed today in this uh, the talk that I gave at FITC was a story we did that explored should designers seek to get an equity stake if right. they're doing branding or identity work for startups. Yeah. And that story did really, really well for us. It got over 100,000 page views. Okay, so we knew that there is an appetite for that kind of stuff, yeah. for these money details that uh, or questions that might be on people's mind but aren't widely discussed because, you know, we, we tend as a, as a culture or a business to frown upon talking mm -hmm. about money for, for better and for worse. But like, what if we start talking about some of these yeah. things that can impact people right. uh, and their livelihoods and at least give them some ideas or insights from people who have been there before about how they might mm -hmm. wander through this, this, yeah. this uh, forest. Yeah, I think it's a struggle for everybody to figure out how to do it with the finance and get the right, right. The right, ask the right amount of money right. to do it. And of course, is it a friend or not? Is it how you connect it, and then yeah. of course, if you are like self-employed or you work in a big company, then totally different questions. Right. Uh, so I'm really, really looking forward to that. Before we round up, I have like a section in my podcast. It's called the Neon Five, yep. where I ask you for five recommend single recommendations. All right. Uh, food we already covered. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your movie or television that you should recommend to everybody? I just I finished watching a show called Godless. It's on, um, it's on Netflix. It has Jeff Daniels and Michelle Dockery. Mm -hmm. It's a story about the Old West. I'm a, I, I grew up uh, going with my grandparents. They had a giant RV. And every summer, we would, my brother and I would pile up in this RV, and we would go someplace out west to like a rodeo or fly fishing yeah. or something like that. So from a young age, I've had an affinity for the, you know, the American West. And Godless is you know, way, way back in the day about um, a couple of settlers out on the plains kind of going about their everyday life and uh, there's a good guy and a bad guy and it's kind of a, a cops and robbers, you know, Old West kind of shoot them up to a certain degree. I really, really like it. I can't yeah. recommend it high enough. I also interviewed Michelle Dockery one time for another project and she was a really, really nice person. So okay. it's always nice when uh, the actress or the actor is as nice off camera yeah. as, as good as they are yeah. on camera as an actor. Wow, that's great. Um, a book that you would recommend? Any book or, or book that Any I read book. recently? Any book. If you want something a bit off the beaten path, I guess, uh, there's, a, there's a book that 
I read when I was in high school called A Confederacy of Dunces. It was published maybe in the 1980s, right around then. And um, it's a book that won a Pulitzer Prize. And it's by a guy named John Kennedy Toole, who, as a teenager, tried to write a book. And he did, and it was okay. And then he started writing this other book. And he eventually was so um, anxious about it and, and was coming to grips with trying to like make this thing that he never thought would be good. He committed suicide before the book was published. Mm -hmm. His mother eventually helped to get it published, and it won a Pulitzer Prize after he was gone. So that's a remarkable backstory to this book, just to set the table. This, but the book um, stars this character, or the central character's name, Ignatius J. Riley. And he does everything that that uh, you would imagine somebody would not do. You know, he is the most revolting, uh, cynical, just unprepared. He says the the darndest, the wrongest things uh, to a certain degree, and. I found it hilarious because uh, I have a very cynical, warped view of looking at the world. Mm -hmm. And in high school, two friends of mine, Matt and Jimmy LaRue, read it, and they're like, you got to read this book. So we had a book club with only three guys, and we only read one book, <laughs> A Confederacy of Dunces. I'm telling you way more than you need to know about this book. But uh, if you have a cynical kind of sense of humor or mm -hmm. outlook on life, I'd recommend it. I think it will provide okay. a good laugh. Okay, good. Yeah. Let's go to the next mm -hmm. one, uh, a person who influenced you the most. Influential in terms of like anybody. Now, person who influenced you in doing what you're doing. Okay. Or that is that is somebody uh, where you look up to or. Okay. Triggers you like every day, for example. I don't know. Yeah. Do I have to have met them in the past or not? No, no. You don't have to have met them. It can be no. All right. It can be anybody. I didn't look at the questions ahead of time, but I think I should have for this to better prepare. How, can I come? Can we do the next one and then I'll come back to that one? Yeah, it's good. Miscellaneous, something from your life you would recommend? <laughs> I mean, uh, Nike shoes. I'll give you Nike shoes. I've been wearing them since I was probably six years old. Mm -hmm. I always consider myself. I was an athlete for a long, long time, mm -hmm. and uh, to me, they they represent, you know being a great athlete. Um, you can also wear them when you're not being a great athlete. You know, you can now wear them around lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the strongest brand connection that I that I have. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nike. Nike. Let's go back to the person. Yeah. Did you have already figured figured out who it would who be? Who it would be? I'm trying to think because there's there's famous people that, that listeners would know but that I've never met, you know? And then there's like the person who that listeners would not know, but they haven't met. But I'll give you, I'll give you somebody who, who you wouldn't know, but maybe it's somebody who you would recognize in your own life, okay? So I'll, I'll end it with this. This is, uh, his, his name would be Coach Brown. He was uh, my high school cross country and track coach in Iowa. And nobody outside of our town, or at least our state, has ever heard of him. Um, he was a man who kind of, got into to running and coaching running because he wanted to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, and he not only would coach us, but he literally got his school bus license so he could drive us to all the meets. So, right. you know, we'd pile into this yellow school bus, Coach Brown would drive us, and then he would coach us. And he was the guy who I talked a little bit about earlier with, with my book yeah. was, I was a brash 16, 17-year-old kid. I wanted to win right away and often. I was extremely impatient, and Coach Brown was always trying to get me to see the bigger picture, to take a breath, to learn that good things come over time, and if I work hard for four years, mm -hmm. I can finally reach yeah. my 
my goals. Of course, I never listened to him mm-hmm. for the most part, you know, uh, and that's why I had to leave him, kind of go on to chase these other dreams in college before I came back and realized, you know what, Coach Brown, like these, you know, sayings he used to have, like nothing but my best, mm-hmm. that are kind of cliche yeah. when you think about it. Mm-hmm. When they're said by Coach Brown, they, they mean a lot, they have a lot of weight. One other fun fact, he was also a hugger. Mm-hmm. He was a guy who, I mean, he was strong, but he would he would wrap you up in a bear hug right. after a good race, and that's how you knew yeah. uh, he was proud of the effort that you had yeah. put in. So, again, he would be my person who influenced me because mm-hmm. I find that even though I'm, I don't know, 16 or 17 years removed from Iowa and from running in Iowa, I find that I use a lot of the lessons that he taught me, mm-hmm. whether I'm at work or in my job or career or you know even preparing mm-hmm. for a, a talk like this today, I'm still using his lessons. Yeah. So that's when you know it really, really connected with yeah. you. Uh, Coach Brown, again, that teacher figure that we've all had in our lives who we never really appreciated maybe when we were learning from them directly. Mm-hmm. Years later, we come back to them yeah. and say, thank you. Where can people follow you? Uh, we follow so 99u.com where we publish our stories yeah. and uh, 90, at 99u is where you can find us on Twitter. Uh, if you personally want to follow me, it's at Matt McHugh Writer. Uh, and uh, I, sometimes I share two things on Twitter, uh, 99u stories and shots of food that I'm eating. So if, if those two things sound yeah. interesting to you, give it a follow. Okay. And where can people see you speak this year? Yep. I'm going to also be speaking at the FITC conference in Toronto in April, and then I'm going to be speaking at the end of May and early June at the Forward Festival. So we're here in Europe right now. We're in Amsterdam. Uh, If anybody is going to be in Munich or in Zurich for the Forward Festival, uh, I'm going to be giving a talk similar to what I did today on how to tell your story using 99U pieces as examples. And uh, I'm passionate about it, so I hope people enjoy listening as much as I enjoy talking about it. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, it's Thomas. Neil Marais also has a newsletter called Neil Monthly. So if you want to be the first to know about the shows, please sign up via neilmarais.com slash subscribe. You can also follow the show on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Neil Marais. And if you have time, please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps others to find out about the show. Thanks for listening.